to engage culture, we know that this is becoming kind of a prerequisite for success. Whether you're a creative or a business person or, a, or want to be a politician or want to go into ministry, the ability to understand how technology works in the marketplace, mm -hmm. this is something we're starting to integrate into our program. We're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> Our sponsor for this episode is our 14-day video script challenge. Yes, we are sponsoring our own show. Yes, we are. <laughs> Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm Benton Crane, your co-host and the CEO of Harmon Brothers. Today, we are at King's College in downtown New York City. I'm joined here with Mark Hidgley, the provost of King's College. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Benton. Really great to be here with you today. Okay, first I want you to tell us about King's College. What is it? What does it stand for? And then we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about you. Appreciate that opportunity, Benton. You know, King's is a really unique Christian college in America, here in the heart of New York City in Manhattan. Um, we have as our mission, uh, through our commitment to the truths of Christianity and a biblical worldview, um, we seek to transform society, but in this particular way, by um, preparing students for careers in which they can help to shape and eventually to lead strategic institutions. And some institutions are very identifiable, like Goldman Sachs, and some are more abstract, like education or the church. And so we mean all of those things when we say that. We also, uh, our faculty are especially um, engaged with, with public scholarship on important issues. So um, we're trying to engage with New York City and its culture, but also um, culture more broadly. Now, in coming here, one of the really fascinating things I found about this place is the location. We are literally footsteps away from the bull, right? Yep. yep. Uh, the Wall Street bull mm -hmm. um, is is a stone's throw away from here, right? Yep. So you are right in the midst of the the downtown Manhattan financial district, right? Yes, sir. How did you guys end up here? Well, that's a great question. When King's actually uh, opened, this is King's 2.0. King's 1.0 was a more traditional liberal arts college out in the suburbs, but in 1999, it reopened in New York City and started out in the Empire State Building, which was just, you know considered a kind that's of a pretty cool location. Yeah, it, it was an, an iconic thing. Uh -huh. But after being there for several years, um, you know, we decided that that this location was better. And it's interesting that you brought all that up because you know this is not only a financial financial center, but it's what we sometimes call colonial Disneyland. Uh, right down the street is Trinity Church, where Alexander Hamilton's buried. Right around the other corner is Federal Hall. Uh, and uh, and also just down the street from that, a, a tavern where George Washington said farewell to his troops. And so um, this is a this this was actually kind of part of the founding of America here. Well, and so, for us history dummies, what happened at Federal Hall? Uh, that's where Washington was inaugurated and gave his okay. speech. And and uh, for a while they considered making New York City the capital of right. the country, but you know, I think it actually was. But um, but obviously it ended up elsewhere. And I'll just say one more thing about that because we decided to put politics, philosophy, and economics, which is kind of an Oxford model for mm -hmm. training uh, cultural and political influencers, um, that makes great sense for us to be down here. I also found that's kind of a really interesting blend because you call yourself a liberal arts college, mm -hmm. but in focusing <clears throat> on politics, philosophy, and economics, you're actually bringing in um, you know, particularly with economics, some of the, I guess, harder, um, uh, I don't know what the term is, but mm -hmm. 
um, I'm thinking more of the data analysis, mm -hmm. um, the econometrics, the yep. the things that you would more associate Wall Street with, mm -hmm. uh, and you're bringing that into a liberal arts college. How does that blend kind of work out? It's challenging, I think, for our students. They, you know, they're expected to have a certain level of quantitative ability, um, both coming in and going out. Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody's going to be a finance major, and we don't have computer science or data analysis in our curriculum. But we're slowly beginning to add those things, primarily because um, to engage culture, we know that this is becoming kind of a prerequisite for success. Um, whether you're a creative or a business person or, or want to be a politician um, or want to go into ministry, um, the ability to understand how technology works in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so this is something we're starting to integrate into our programs. Yeah, our listeners hear me talk a lot about how we've married the two worlds of creativity with data analysis, where the two support each other and the two inform each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a big part of why Harmon Brothers have had the successful track record that we've had. And so it's been fun to come visit you guys and get to get to kind of see that you're taking a similar approach where you're mixing the, the worlds of creativity with, uh, uh, you know, with data analysis and that type of thing. But you, you mentioned right in the beginning that, um, you know, the purpose of King's College uh, I don't remember the exact words you used, but basically to influence society in a good way. What were the what was the yeah. exact wording? Transform society, but it's through our commitment to uh, a biblical worldview and you know truth of the Bible. Uh huh. It it it's really interesting to hear you say that, and then to kind of parallel it to our purpose and our why at Harmon Brothers, which of course is to share better stories. And part of, for us, sharing better stories is finding stories to share that make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's been kind of one of the fun treats of my visit here to King's College is kind of seeing the the different ways that uh, that our organizations kind of are, are trying to accomplish similar things in different ways. Mm -hmm. Well, and I didn't mention yet media, culture, and the arts, but when when you hear something like politics, philosophy, economics, media, culture, and the arts, religious and theological studies, you get the impression, which is a, which is an accurate one, that we're very interdisciplinary. And the media, culture, and the arts program ranges in terms of cultural engagement, everything from journalism to theater, <clears throat> you know, to, to some musical study and, um, you know, just general media. So some of our students go into the news side of media. Some go into the uh, creative side. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, um, I think we just believe so strongly in the fact that having a grounding in what are some of the classical liberal arts disciplines, but through a very specific lens, combined with this broad idea of how to be a cultural influencer mm -hmm. is, is just really important, especially in New York City. Right. Um, okay, Mark, let's shift gears and talk about you. What is your role at King's College? Right, so I'm the provost, which means I'm the chief academic officer. I came here just a little, uh, little over, a little less than six years ago. And uh, I was a music professor before this at another Christian college uh, for 20 years and worked into, you know, some administrative duties there. But, um, uh, and so it's kind of interesting that I ended up at King's as the chief academic officer, but it really was because, so I gave up tenure, uh, which means I gave up sort of lifetime employment as a professor to come here. But was that a scary jump to make? It was very scary. And in fact, that's what I, you know, I think we should talk more about that because I think that was a, that's something well, so let me let me tell you a little bit more about the story, and then you okay. can decide to take it from there. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm turning 50 and I'm thinking to myself, what's my best, potentially my best contribution to the world of education, Christian ministry, Christian higher education, where I've spent my whole life uh, after I finished my education, mm-hmm. my own education. And so, um, so it was really a matter of prayerful consideration and thinking about where to go. So when um, the president of the, at that time of Kings, Gregory Thornberry, we, we knew each other, you know, in the Christian higher ed circles and he came, he became the president here. And so we started a conversation about, <clears throat> about me coming here to be chief academic officer. And it was scary <laughs> for the reasons we've already sort of touched on, but the, the value proposition for sort of the feeling of mission, like mm-hmm. if you're going to give those things up, you want to give it up for something that you really think is going to make a difference. And honestly, that's why I came here and that's why I love it here. And that's why I want, you know, want to stay here. So um, let's expand on that a little bit for our mm-hmm. listeners. So tenure basically means you have a job for life and it's a good job. Essentially, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in giving that up, what does the what does the new world what does the new life look like is it much higher risk indeed i'm a much i'm just like any other employee of any of a business now and so you know tenure stems from a very long tradition in the academic world that's supposed to allow for faculty to um you know have a kind of a safe and stable place from which to do their work and to deal with controversy actually mm-hmm. that's one of the main reasons why there's tenure so there's some there's some advantages of tenure um but when you're moving to administration or into leadership, um, that's not a that's not the kind of position it is. It's a it's a responsible position where there have to be outcomes and goals, and and uh, so it is very different. Who else did that decision impact besides just oh, you? Oh, my family by by a long shot. Because my, my wife was also a professor at that other school, and uh, and my children. One of them finished up there. The other one was still in you know junior high school, and so mm-hmm. moved to the city here and goes to public school where we live on Staten Island. So yeah, it was very uh, very consequential for our whole family. How was, uh, what did that feel like for them? I think it was very difficult in a lot of ways. Um, my, my, my wife and I moved to that to the small town where the other school was when we were still in our 20s. Uh-huh. So our entire life had been built up there and all of our relationships, all of our work, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, to have to, to, to move away from that was challenging for all of us. Not, and of course, my kids were born there. They grew up there. They went to school the years they were mm-hmm. there. You know, my daughter ended up going to the, that college. So it was really like uprooting your entire uh-huh. life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So fast forward to today. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the decision? Well, we feel good because we really feel like this was a calling. Mm-hmm. The same way I think the college feels like it's called to be here in Manhattan. You know, not every school is called to do that. But but we have a particular reason, I think, to be here and a mission. And, um, and, and from my perspective, it's worked out well because I've been able to exercise some of my gifts uh, to do some of the things that are needed. This place is very nimble, <laughs> requires a lot of entrepreneurial thinking, and it's also a This challenge. isn't a big school, right? This is, no, a, no. Few, this is a few hundred students, right? right? Exactly. Um, and it grew to that from a much smaller size when it reopened, but nevertheless, it's challenging uh, on all kinds of fronts, one of which is, you know, economies of scale, for example. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, I think, I guess what I was, where I was going with that was the, you know, that's also an advantage size mm-hmm. <laughs> because it means you can be more nimble, you can be more entrepreneurial. We can try things out and you know see how they go and um, and and clearly it's continued to attract more and more students because they see the value 
of being in New York City, of thinking about their education as a very interdisciplinary matter, um, but also gaining the skills. And, and I think for my family, it's interesting, my son, he loves New York City. You know, mm -hmm. he grew up in a rural area, but now he's going to high school in New York and he loves it. Um, and my wife has been blessed to find all kinds of opportunities mm -hmm. to do her work. She's a musician as well. So I think both at the college and in our lives in general, it's turned out to be really well. That's fantastic. Talk to me, you know, from the outside looking in, um, you know, I don't perceive New York City as a, a faith-based city, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. What's it like being a faith-based organization yeah. and, and a faith-based person, for that matter, in the heart of New York? That's a fascinating story because New York had dwindled down to, a, to nearly zero, I mean, like fractional percent of evangelical Christians. And um, to be, you know, to be fair, uh, Timothy Keller and the and the church in his the church and the ministry that he's been doing here for decades, and he's just recently retired. But that's really moved the needle. And mm -hmm. so we say to people, New York City's gone over the last twenty years from one percent Christian by that standard mm -hmm. to three percent. <laughs> but that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's a big movement. Yeah. I didn't realize that it's increasing. Yeah. That's yeah. actually news to me. Yeah, and so um, and so. It is a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge to live in a diverse community, right? Um, but it's also, I think there's a lot of energy towards that here. Mm -hmm. And I think I think my church, for example, oops, my church, for example, um, really has as part of its mission, the engagement with and service to the city, you know, to stay mm -hmm. in the city and really work for the benefit of the city as a way of, you know, demonstrating God's desire for human mm -hmm. flourishing. That, that's fantastic. One of the things that I love about diverse cultures is the openness to, um, you know, people of all different faiths and all mm -hmm. different beliefs and all different backgrounds. Um, do you, do you feel like the diversity of New York kind of creates an open-mindedness that people have toward your faith? That's a great question. I think it varies widely, but I do think there's there's something to the kind of live and let live, at least. That's not really openness to your mm -hmm. faith, but it's at least a, a, a starting place. When you're forced into a city like this, you have to learn to live together with all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really impressed me about New York City actually was how orderly it was. And uh, people are going to they shake their heads when they say that, but really, you can't have a functioning city without a certain level of order, right? Because right. it would just be disaster all the time. And there's crime here and all the rest of it. But in, in my experience, uh, there's a lot more of people just saying, okay, we're here. We want to be here. We're trying to do our work. We're trying to you know raise our families and we're trying to work together. And um, I don't know if that's just coming from a Christian worldview in my mind, but it really, maybe it's just the blessing I've experienced. Um, so yeah, there's plenty of conflict and mm -hmm. there's plenty of challenge about you know, I have an hour commute every day from Staten Island, which is not that far away from Manhattan. Yep. But it's very orderly. We all mm -hmm. get on the bus. You know, we get off the bus. We take our turn. You know, we often people speak very kindly to one another. Uh -huh. So now you're a musician. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the role that music plays in your life and in your career. Yeah. Well, I did. I definitely feel like that's been part of my calling. I was mostly a composer and a, and a conductor, orchestra conductor. Um, I got into um, teaching. So I did a lot of music theory teaching as well. And a little bit later, I got a little bit more into music history and especially what some would term ethnomusicology. I'm not actually an ethnomusicologist, but I felt uh, at a certain point in my career that, that, uh, that, that I, I saw an idea that in the 21st century, what, what it means to be a musician has changed 
from the, I would say, traditional Western-only classical view of music education. And I think, I think that's a growing recognition, but I felt like I had some perspectives and, and, and eventually had some opportunities to try to speak into that. So I wrote a couple of books over the last several years on thinking about music analysis and music history from a more global perspective. And that actually came out of a really interesting um, experience I had. I was at a, I was speak, go ahead. Let me, let me make sure I understand what you mean there. So yeah. it, when you say kind of music from a Western perspective, yeah. so yeah. we're talking basically like Europe and, yeah. and, and the Americas, yeah. and you're saying let's broaden that. Yeah. And, and let's think about Asia and, and the Middle East yeah. and, and potentially Africa. Is, oh, is absolutely. That, is that, that yeah. the idea is kind of pulling all of that into the thinking about music? I agree. Yeah, absolutely. But it's yet another step beyond that because okay. it's not just about thinking about every possible different kind of musical culture. It's about thinking about music as a universal human activity because there's no culture that doesn't have music and um, of some kind. <laughs> and so it's a human trait. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is to look at how music works and how it's um, unfolded over history from that perspective. How have they worked out in each culture those universal principles of what it means to be musical? So there's rhythm and there's mm -hmm. pitch and all these things. So I, I think that's a transformative idea that would change how we prepare ourselves to be musicians in a globalized world. Um, but it came, for me, it came from an epiphany I had when I was at a was at a conference at Baylor University 15 years ago, and I was speaking on Western art music, you know, classical mm -hmm. music, and uh, I heard the provost of Calvin College at the time, uh, Joel Carpenter, talk about the global church. And it just came down on my head like a ton of bricks. You know, this is, to be a Christian and to be a musician in the 21st century has got to mean something relevant to that. So, um, it's not exactly multiculturalism. I call it transcultural because it's music as a human activity. That's really important to the religious communities and to just society in general. Fascinating. <laughs> um, for our listeners who, uh, who hear about this and it strikes <laughs> up a, a chord of curiosity, sure. where, where can they follow more about you? Where can they learn more about you? And where can they dive into this subject more deeply? Yeah, well, you can find out a little bit more about me and the titles of my books and things on just markhidgley.com, M-A-R-K-H-I-J-L-E-H.com. Say, say that one more time, but slow. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. M-A-R-K-H-I-J-L-E-H.com. And uh, that'll take them to my LinkedIn page, actually, but that'll have other resources. And, um, you can look up my books on Amazon. Um, the College Music Society has definitely been trying to move in this direction. That's kind of the big music education, collegiate music education uh, organization in the United States, especially. Um, so there's a lot, lot to, lot to see there. Okay, a lot of our listeners are um, they, they kind of fall in a couple of camps. We've got a lot of entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs, and then we also have um, a lot of budding creatives. Mm -hmm. You know, be them comedians or or videographers or writers, designers, etc. Um, for those audiences, if you had to, you know, if you had to identify one tip that you would give them on how to how to find success and where they're at and where they're trying to get to the next step. What would that one tip be if you had to had to be limited to that? 
Okay, so I'm going to cheat a little bit, but I'm really going to focus on the one tip, which is what you asked about. I want to go back to Kings. We have sort of three core values that we that we landed on: truth, integrity, and perseverance. Our students come here and they have to become New Yorkers. It's completely different than it is in many colleges where they're sort of cordoned off, you know. As entrepreneurs and small businesses, we all kind of reach that point where we know we've created something awesome and we want to share it with the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that very next step that can oftentimes be really intimidating or really scary, or you just don't know where to go next, right? And the beautiful thing about this 14-day script challenge is you get your hand held from, okay, you have this cool product, now let's go research and find the exact way to present it and message it to the world in a way that resonates and gets people excited and they're ready to swipe their credit card and purchase. And in the 14 day script challenge, you get the opportunity to go through that step-by-step step with our writers who have done it dozens and dozens of times. Yeah, you actually watch us go through each of the steps ourselves and create it with a real client, a real product, and um, it's a real campaign that's out there that's been very successful. That's right. And the feedback that we've had on this thing has just been phenomenal. I mean, we get comment after comment and emails flowing in from people all over the world who have just uh, raved about the impact that this has had on their business. People tell us over and over again, it is just a huge value punch for the investment for this 14-day script challenge and, and really gave them the tool set they needed to walk through it and make it happen. And we've had, um, we've had dozens of students who have successfully taken the challenge, written their script, launched their ad campaigns, and driven success for their business. It's pretty amazing. For more information, go to hbros.co slash script. That's hbros.co slash script.